sky so bright, just like raindrops in the window pane. When your eyes are blue, something's wrong with you. Let me kiss the love light back again. Brown eyes, why are you blue? Brown eyes. Hello and welcome back to the American Writers 100 Pages at a Time podcast. In this episode, I'll be looking at chapters, I guess, 8 through 14, I guess. Yeah, 8 through 14 of Elmer Gantry by Sinclair Lewis. This is a uh, very sarcastic uh, novel about uh, the religious culture of the 1920s. Uh, I talked about the first part of this novel in the previous episode, so if you're just joining us, I do urge you to go back and check out that episode where I introduced the novel and its its main character, Elmer Gantry, a very worldly preacher, to put it uh, to put it mildly, um, uh, a preacher who doesn't quite live the ideal life of 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 a of a Baptist of the from the countryside from rural Midwest America in the 1920s. Um, uh, to put it uh, simply, he drinks, he smokes, he fools around with girls. Um, and in somehow in Sinclair Lewis's mind, this is the perfect representation of uh, the uh, religious leader of, of the 1920s. So yes, very, uh, very um, satirical, satirical, that's the word I'm looking for, satirical novel of, of religious culture in rural America. Or in Midwest America, broadly, in the 1920s. So in the same way he sort of attacked and undermined uh, medicine in Aerosmith, he does uh, the same thing with religion in Elmer Gantry. But this is a much more brutal novel. Aerosmith, it's hard to read that and not come away with some respect for several characters. Here, the characters are all fairly uh, odious. Um, so what happens in this part of the novel? Well, um, Quite a lot of ups and downs in Elmer Gantry's career. So whereas we left him last time, he had graduated from college. He had he had his conversion experience, as you know, perhaps partially real. As, as I tried to explain last time, it's not entirely fake. It's it's drawn from his life and his life experiences in significant ways. But he's not converting his his lifestyle. He's hypocritical in terms of his lifestyle. Um, but you know, he's he's from a culture in which of course you believe in Jesus, right? Of course you believe in the Bible. That's that's the culture he comes from. Uh, so he, did, he, he converts, he finishes his degree at this religious college, and he gets kind of recruited into the ministry, and he, finished, he becomes an ordained minister in the Baptist um, church. He gets this, while he's still studying for his uh, Bachelor of Divinity, so he hasn't quite finished that. He's still in school for his BD, his Bachelor of Divinity, but he's uh, already been given a church uh, in, uh, in a rural area. That's where he left off. So he's begun preaching in this rural church. He's become very friendly with uh, this young uh, woman named Lulu. Was that Lulu Bain? Lulu Bain. Sorry, Lulu Baines is her name, and he's become fairly friendly with uh, uh, Lulu's parents. Although they're very religious, and and already early, as we saw last time, they're already beginning to expose a little bit of the shallowness of Elmer Gantry's own commitment to the faith. Um, so really the big first major crisis here is 
is with this relationship with Lulu, which becomes romantic and becomes sexual. And um, she basically, she gets pregnant and he doesn't really want to have anything to do with Lulu after that point. He certainly doesn't want it to be revealed that he's the father of this child um, and have to marry her. So he first he denies. It's actually some pretty brutal stuff where he um, tries to actually break up with her and she's distraught by that. And he ends up finding kind of a way out in the fact that this Lulu has an admirer in town and he's able to basically get her with him so he doesn't have to undergo a shotgun wedding with with Lulu. Um, but uh, we see in this very dramatic episode that covers a couple chapters, actually, how Elmer Gantry is able to avoid his to, to kind of keep quiet his sexual indiscretions of which Lulu is the major one here, but he's been going these throughout his life. And as far as, you know, the very first page, essentially we meet him, we, we see him at a bar drunk, uh, where he has girlfriends or at least one Juanita. She's gone now, but there's this other one, this small town country girl, uh, Lulu Baines. And it ends pretty catastrophically for Lula, Lulu, who, I mean, she, I guess she ends up kind of met with this guy that loved her, but we don't get the sense that she has much feeling or passions for, for, for him. And I think we see actually a few times here, just how powerful in this novel, I mean, how powerful this figure of the preacher is in, in, in American culture and in a small town, he's educated, he's persuasive, he's, he can talk a good game, right? So the, the relationship, you know, he can be a salesman. In fact, he becomes a salesman later on in, in the novel. He can be a salesman. He can be a, uh, a lawyer, right? But he becomes a preacher, right? But these are all professions that are very good at using words and language, which, of course, is the tool of seduction and the tool of, of dominating people. Uh, it's not always the sexual kind of domination. Often it's just, a, you know, we've all met these people who are just have that charisma, right? And that's what makes them good preachers. It's also what makes them good at manipulating people and 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 convincing them to do things that they they may not want to do. Um, now, what does he preach about? We we start to get a sense of his preaching in in these chapters. Um, in fact, if we go back to chapter seven, which is um, something I didn't quote this, but I'll, I'll quote it. It comes up again and again. He kind of preaches on similar topics throughout. Of course, it's always very vapid, right? He doesn't have a strong theological background. It's not like the people in the kind of churches he ends up teaching at are very interested in, like, they don't want to hear about Kierkegaard or Augustine or something. They want to hear the emotional aspect of God, right? This is like the third Great Awakening, if you will, right? The first Great Awakening set during uh, the colonial America, right? The second Great Awakening in the early 20 19th century, and then the third Great Awakening in the 1920s, you know, in that era of the rise of fundamentalism. And then and we get the fourth Great Awakening, I guess. You could say at the later half of the 19th century, the 1990s, the Bush years is kind of like a fourth Great Awakening. And maybe we're still in it. I, I don't know. Um, but here's a bit of his, his sermon. It says, In the hustle and bustle of daily life, I wonder how many of us stop and think that in all that is highest and best, we are ruled not even by most up-and-coming efforts, but by love. What is love? The divine love of which the great singer teaches us in Proverbs. It is the rainbow that comes after the dark cloud. It's the morning star, and it's also the evening star. That being, as we know well, the brightest stars we know. It shines upon the cradle of the little one, and when life has at last departed, to come no more you find it still around the quiet tomb. 
what it inspires all great men, be they preachers or patriots or great businessmen, why it is my brethren but love. Ah, it fills the world with melody and such sacred melodies as we have indulged in together. For what is music? What, my friends, is music? Ah, what indeed is music but the voice of love? So love is central to his um, message, to his flock, such as it is. But it's also where he's, he's kind of weakest personally in his, in his life. He, he's not really capable of, of grasping love. He could have had a relationship with Lulu. He could have become a small town preacher, married her. But he, as soon as she became inconvenient to him, he wanted to, to move on. Now, this, of course, breaks things off with Baines. I mean, Mr. Baines kind of knew what was up here. But he doesn't get in trouble with the church. Uh, with the Baptist church because he covers up the sexual indiscretions. He's able to kind of evade that. What gets him in trouble is he comes into work drunk one day. He comes in to become a pre he comes in to preach on a Sunday morning drunk. And when this is found out, he basically gets kicked out of his school. We actually get a little bit here too about his education in seminary where he's trying to get this Bachelor of Divinity. He's already ordained as a minister, but he's not yet got the full bachelor of divinity and he's just bored just as bored as he was at uh terwillinger college with studies he's not interested in that aspect of things but he can talk a good game right it's vapid it's meaningless it's a politician speak in a way that there's nothing behind it no meaning no quality behind the words just the words themselves that are persuade people um, but you know when it comes to actual theology he's he's kind of um indifferent to it but he comes in drunk one day and then the dean basically pulls him aside and says okay not only are you like kicked out of school but we're you know you're not going to have a church anymore right we're going to take that away from you basically his career is essentially over um so that that takes us up to chapter actually 11 so chapters 8 9 10 are about his his time preaching in this small town his affair with lulu is eventually getting um, kicked out of the of the profession which he's been training for for you know ever since college so what does he do well we're not surprised the very next page uh when that 28 years old elmer gantry um has been a salesman for two years so there's a two-year gap right from 26 to 28 where he's just been a salesperson right a perfect job for him um he's obviously allowed to continue to fulfill his his pleasures his, his drinking, smoking, his womanizing as he wishes. Um, now, he's not happy. He's free. And he's freer than he was as a preacher, but he's missing out on something. Um, quote, he appreciated being free of faculty rules, free of the guilt in which in seminary days had followed his sprees at Monarch, free of the incomprehensible debates of Harry Zenz and Frank Shallard, yet he misleading his old hymns and the sound of his own voice and the sense of his own power as he held an audience by the sermon, always on Sunday evenings, except when he had an extravagant engagement with a waitress or a chambermaid, he went to the evangelical church nearest his hotel. He enjoyed criticizing the sermon professionally. Unquote. So he's continuing on his life, but he still misses the like the excitement of being a preacher. Um, and I, I can see the appeal, right, for someone who is kind of a narcissistic personality. You. You get to command a crowd. I mean, when it comes to the day-to-day burdens of being a preacher, of dealing with people's private lives and their problems and going to their bedside when they're sick, you know, dealing with warning people, I can see it, you know, it's meaningful work that has to be done. 
in a religious society. Um, and it's not the kind of thing I think Elmer Gantry likes about it, but he loves the, the, the Sunday morning kind of, you know, or the, the revival. That's what he, and eventually by the end of this part of the book, by the halfway point of the book, he is essentially a revivalist. And, you know, you can see that's really where he's going to shine. We're not where he's going to have to deal with the mundane day-to-day aspects of running a church, but where he can just kind of whip up the crowd. He would have made a good, like, fascist politician, I guess. Um, and of course, Sinclair Lewis did write a novel about American fascism, right? And isn't that, isn't he the one who said it'll come draped in the American flag with a cross or something like that? I, I'm not sure. I actually never read that book. Uh, okay, maybe someday. So anyways, uh, in chapter 11, we get a little bit of a, s- a snapshot of his life as a salesperson, but that quickly goes away because he meets this woman, Sharon Falconer. I haven't found any kind of confirmation of this, but I think this woman is modeled off of off of uh, uh, Amy Semple McPherson. Uh, and if you don't know who Sister Amy was, uh, she was a Canadian, but she ended up being a, a, an American preacher for much of her life. She's part of this this kind of third grade awakening. She's one of the first to use uh, like radio and 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 even film to spread her message she's founded one of the first like mega churches in america she was one of these wandering preachers uh you know if we read the wikipedia here about her i mean she did things like faith minis healing ministry uh she was kind of kind of young you know she was an attractive person especially in the 1920s when she was she was young and really vibrant she was uh, a striking person who was really able to to kind of bring religious revivalism into the 20th century uh, at least as far as america is concerned now again i don't have like the one for one correlation i haven't really found uh anything clear except that if you go to her wikipedia um you do see they they link to elmer gantry the movie um but i don't see it mentioned in in the actual text of the article uh oh here it is characters who are modeled on if include sharon falconer okay so there 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 is that here so um you know I guess I'm right. I guess other people have agreed. Let's see what the footnote here is. Lingerman. So there's a book by a guy named Lingerman. Let me find out what that is. Okay, so Lingman. Sorry, it's Richard R. Lingman who wrote a book, Sinclair Lewis, Rebel from Main Street. Uh, 2005 is the date of the book. Uh, so I guess he argues somewhere in here that that uh, Sharon Falconer is based on, on, on Sister Amy. So... Uh, I'll, I'll take that. I'll take it. Uh, it's certainly what I thought when I first came across this character. So he basically, Elmer Gantry starts to think, I want to get back into preaching. And he ends up getting back into it through this character, Sharon Falconer. He even has kind of a, almost a romantic relationship with her. Uh, it doesn't quite emerge anywhere yet in, in the story. Uh, he actually kind of proposes to her a few times and she gets him to change some of his habits. She actually says to him, like, stop smoking and drinking and he does it. So it's kind of almost like Elmer Gantry has met someone who's even of a stronger personality than him. 
which is kind of uh, kind of interesting. Um, and then she kind of brings him into his organization, uh, which is like doing these revivals and this uh, preaching around the country, traveling around the, the Midwest. And he gets to do some preaching. He eventually is able to become like her secretary and doing a lot of the organizing for her for her work. And as always, he's able to give speeches now, not in a setting of a, of a small church, of a small town church, but in the setting of an evangelist meeting, which is something really where he he he's great for. Uh, that's really kind of the job that he was he was meant for. Is um, he able to talk about like sin in a very personal way? Uh, there's a, I almost get the sense of like the born again Christian experience here through Elmer Gantry too, although here it's presented as just a as, as kind of false, right? That he there's no real reform there in his character. He seems kind of, you know, we actually don't get that much into his inner soul that as much as we get other characters. Actually, we get more of their inner soul than we do him. He he seems just like this. Um, he's this alpha male type, but we don't get much beyond the the surface here, except his desires. That that's all we keep hearing about. Even his when he wants to be a preacher, it's because he desires something. Yeah, that's as far as we go. Like when we look inside of him, all we see is desire of various types. Um, but anyways, he t- he's able to talk about sin in kind of personal ways. Um, although he doesn't like blame himself. He doesn't say it's about him, but you kind of see he's under the surface. Uh, here's a bit from a speech he gives now working for this falconer woman. He says, oh, my brothers and sisters, important though it is to be prudent in this world's affairs, it is the world to come that is alone important. And this reminds me, in closing, of a very sad incident which I recently witnessed. In business affairs, I had often to deal with a very prominent man named Jim Leffenwell. Well, I can give his name now because he has passed over his eternal reward. Old Jim was the best of good fellows, but he had a fatal defects. He drank liquor, smoked tobacco, he gambled, and I'm sorry to say he did not always keep his tongue clean. He took the name of the Lord in vain. But Jim was very fond of his family, particularly of his little daughter. Well, she took sick. Oh, what a sad time that was in that household. How the stricken mother tiptoed in and out of the sick room. How the worried doctors came and went, speeding to aid her. As for the father, poor old Jim, he was bowed with anguish as he leaned over that pathetic little bed and his hair turned gray in a single night. Then came the great crisis, and before his very eyes, the weeping father, that his little form was stalked and that sweet, pure, young soul passed to its makers. And then we get the conversion story where he comes to Elmer Gantry and converts. And, you know, it's, it's all made up, but whatever. It's, it's somewhat drawn from his own experiences, but he's able to make up you know the details of this this dead child and all that stuff but it works it works and it's after this point that that she actually tells him to stop drinking and smoking and to be more pure in himself and it actually works he actually does uh convert um and then eventually takes him on as assistant and he becomes essentially her secretary and and that's where we are in this point of the novel so yeah I'll, i'll keep the episode short today i'll keep it uh uh, kind of a little bit rough, uh, but the main thing I wanted to do today is is mention this part of the novel, where Elmer Gantry ends up, and to to make this association between this person, um, uh, Amy Semple McPherson, who's someone if you're not familiar with, you're not familiar with American religious history, she's someone really interesting to know about because we're still kind of living, in some degree at least in our religious culture, with the world she created, the the use of mass media by 
evangelists, to the use of the, the, the megachurches. Charismatic Christianity is the term we often use for this. And, you know, she was also kind of a flawed character. She had, like, apparently affairs and, and, and issues with drugs. She ended up eventually dying of, of some kind of drug use. Um, or is it taking sleeping pills? I mean, it's not super serious. It wasn't like she was on hard drugs. But sleeping pills, maybe to uh, deal with some other issues in her life. But anyways, uh, super important in, in 20th century and even into 21st century American Christianity, and I think that's partially what uh, Sinclair Lewis is lambasting here in this really, really interesting novel. So in the next episode, I'll, I'll look at the next... Um, actually, it's quite a lot. Look, look at the next nine chapters or so of the, the book, getting us uh, up to the, the brink of the climax of this, of this story. So I look forward to, to coming back and, and sharing a little bit more of my thoughts about Elmar Gantry and Sinclair Lewis's work in general uh, next time. So if you have any of your own thoughts about charismatic Christianity, its impact on American life, about Elmar Gantry and Sinclair Lewis's portrayal of Christianity, or just the specific novel of, of, of Gantry. I, um, maybe the film. I didn't see the film version. I rarely watch the film versions of these things. But uh, that's there too if you want to uh, um, study it. So that's going to be it for now. Uh, thanks, for, as always, for listening. Share your thoughts with me. Uh, you can send me an email at 100pagescast at gmail.com. Um, or you can actually follow me on Twitter too, Evan Lampy one, uh, at Evan Lampy one is my Twitter handle. Um, I should start sharing that a little bit more often for you guys. So anyways, uh, that's, uh, going to be it for now. See you next time. That's when they begin disappearing like the April snow. Round why are you blue? Brown eyes, what can I do? Don't keep those